Are you an architect with a statement kitchen that needs a kitchen designer's input? Then you better call Paul. That is, if you got the guts. Hi, Allison. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, Paul. Hi. Well, also here, Sebastian. <laughs> Good afternoon, Paul. How are you? Oh yeah. What's your? Uh, it's your husband. Yeah, Sebastian. Okay, great. Welcome to Better Call Paul. Yeah. Why don't we start just with going over the design as it is right now, and what things I think that you you should be considering. Okay. Perfect not in any particular order, but I would think one of the most important things is in the design, you have this, you have a table shown that's four feet, six inches wide. And then the spacing right. that you're leaving in back of the table for chairs is two in, two feet, four inches. So 28 inches. I would tell you, if you test that out, you'll find it a little bit tight and insufficient. Okay. However, the good news is that a four foot six inch table is actually way bigger than you need to sit four or five people. The most typical size kitchen table that would be round would, would normally be four feet wide and a table that's four feet wide will sit four very comfortably and you could squeeze a fifth person in once in a blue moon if you had to. And then if you did do that, then you then would be leaving yourself four feet seven inches everywhere because um, you definitely can bump out back off the window wall pretty easily and then four feet seven i mean two feet seven inches sorry is 24 is 31 that's probably just enough when you leave space for sitting you have to leave enough space to push the chair backwards so you can stand up and then easily exit from where you're sitting and really, probably 30 inches is sort of a, a minimum. Otherwise, every time you open your chair, push your chair back, you will hit the wall and you'll be scraping your wall. And even 30 inches, you, you might want to even make it a little bit bigger than 30 with the four foot wide table, just so you don't scrape up your walls. That's a good point. Um, would you say if we do a bigger, this bigger table that we have in here now is that more like a dining room size table than a kitchen table like that will it look a little too big we do have a formal dining room too which table do you mean the table which that you have in the kitchen yeah yeah that's not really you're saying that's not really a kitchen size table it's more like a well, dining just, room just, size just, the space that you're leaving isn't really big enough for that table a four foot six inch table is okay but then you're going to have to change the plans a bunch so making it a four foot wide table will, in the picture, you're only showing that you're seating four there and a four foot table mm -hmm. very comfortably sits four. So that just got you six inches that you desperately needed. And then if you wanted to give yourself a few more inches, you could make the vestibule where you're entering a little bit smaller or your pantry a tiny bit shallower or something like that to make it more comfortable. But what you really should do is take a table and a chair and put it 28 inches away from a wall and then try to get out and you'll sort of see what I'm talking about. And then you can decide how much space you want to leave based on the reality of what a chair needs when you're pushing it back from a table. And you can decide if you're happy with 30, leave 30. I think when you do that, you'll find that 28 is not enough. Yeah. So the one thing, one of the reasons, so something 
one of these weird drafting things. It, it didn't let me in, uh, draw the table the way that I wanted because I actually, my intent was to do it at a 45. Mm-hmm. So would that the conversation if the, if the chairs were at, a, at 45 rather than 90 to the plan? If the chairs are 45 in the plan, it helps in some ways because you're opening into the corners. So it makes it a little bit better. But I think that even when you're opening into the corners that way, then the sides of the chairs and your elbows are sort of close to the walls and you're better off not. I know you're an architect or whatever, Sebastian, architects and kitchen designers. We're at odds a lot of the times when you're drawing plans for a living, the reality of what happens after the stuff is installed, a lot of times doesn't fall on you. Whereas with us, after the whole kitchen is done and somebody spent $30,000 on cabinets and everything else, if they're not happy with the spacing that we've left them, we better have warned them. Otherwise they're going to you know, want to sue us or whatever. So we're more sensitive, I think, to okay. spaces. And, and I, I think it's good. Yeah. I mean, it's, you want to judge something by how comfortable you are in the space. Everybody's first instinct is to try to get as much, as much as they can in a space And, you know, I always say this in our podcast is if you're in our offices before COVID on a Saturday, you'll probably find a moment in time when all four designers are fighting with their customers to leave more space. Because until it's a real thing, nobody anticipates, until it's real, nobody, you know, wants to give up anything. So you're always trying to put 10 pounds of sausage in an eight pound wrapper. And then once it's actually installed, no one's ever complained to us that we made them leave too much space. So okay. it just makes the whole thing more comfortable. So that's just one thing. I, I, I guess I, the other thing. I, that we got, go ahead. Yeah, I know. I appreciate because obviously you're, you know, you, you, you live this uh, experience of like the thought, you know, what a number reflects and what it actually comes out in reality and how it gets experienced. So uh, we appreciate the feedback. Yeah. And, and architects too, they get critiqued by how beautiful their designs are. And it's a different criteria. So it's like, I don't know an architect, every architect puts French doors in every room all over the place. But the problem with French doors for us as people that are you know, now having to figure out how you're gonna furnish a room or anything else is that French doors open into the room and if they're not folding back against the walls, then they're in the way of travel, et cetera then you can't have furniture in the room and other things. So everybody looks at the design before it's furnished and it's amazing because it's so beautiful that you have all these French doors in this room. But then once you actually need to open and close all the doors, it's impeding on the tables and the furniture that you would have wanted in the room. And so we're taking over after the thing is designed and it's beautifully designed. It's just that no one's thought through how this room is getting furnished where people are coming from and going to and what the travel patterns are. So our sensibilities are just sort of different a lot of the time and, and we're judged on a different basis than architects are. But that being said, you know, if we want to move on to the next thing I would say is that just to warn you, your island in the picture is 11 feet, two inches long. And the standard length for 99% of all countertops, whether they be quartz or natural stone, granite or soapstone or anything else is 10 feet. So you would need to get an oversized slab of 
quartz or a natural stone to be able to make an island without a seam that was 11 foot two inches long. And even 11 foot two inches is so long that it's almost like an aircraft carrier in the middle of the kitchen. I think that you'd be better off bringing it down to the, the standard size 10 foot and you'd save yourself $5,000 on your countertop and 10 feet is, is really big already. Okay. Let's see what else that we've got here. You know, there's some things I didn't really quite understand like the area that has the, the bar sink with the bar sink. And then it looks like there's like a, a pass through that's going into another room and there's, it's got cabinets surrounding it. Yeah, so, so basically that's the access between the two rooms. We're looking at um, different ways of, you know, utilizing that wall. And, and I think we sort of came to this idea, what if we made that wall, made it cabinetry and it's like two foot in depth and we can sort of integrate it and then it becomes like a true threshold where it does a couple of things. It, it gives us an opportunity to like create a wall of cabinets where a lot of the rest of the other walls in the kitchen are mostly windows. Mm -hmm. um, and then the thing, what it does is that it creates a little bit of a buffer because that room down on the other side is our living room. So mm -hmm. we like the idea of having a connection, but we're, we're definitely not of the, we want to have a fully open floor plan kind of scenario. So we, we this is like, a way of navigating a little bit of that and, and then sort of, you know, trying to make this wall, which I, I will admit it still needs a little, definitely needs a little design, but in terms of like functional and sort of. Uh, yeah, you know, I would. And I would tell you that when you put wall cabinets over the top of a doorway, that that's a pretty funky thing unless you've got some Leonardo da Vinci plan to maybe make this a hidden door that you wouldn't wouldn't even know was was a doorway and you want to keep your your living room a secret but if that's not the case you're just creating this tunnel that you're going through on the way to your living room and then the, does the doorway I guess the doorway is not going to have any trim on it and then how do you transition from the sides of the pantry cabinets that you have on either side of this doorway when it hits that opening and is that opening just a drywall opening that, yeah we would, we would trim it we would trim it so from the living room it will be all trimmed up and then right. so then you have to leave space for that so then your doorway is going to be much smaller than the opening that you you have because you're not you're not going to have you don't have any trim on the inside of the doorway you can't have trim on the outside of the doorway and not on the inside of the doorway because you have the thickness of the wall that's there and then you'd have to finish that off i would think that instead of making this a tunnel that you have to go through that the more normal thing would be to get rid of the cabinets over the top of the doorways that's just an instinct to put cabinets everywhere that I would discourage you from doing. And then I would probably not enclose my sink with pantry cabinets on both sides, even though that makes it symmetrical, only because the countertop that's there, you only have 24 inches of countertop really that you're gonna try to be working at and you have a 24 inch deep cabinet right next to you. 
So your elbow, you can't, if you try to cut and chop on that countertop, it's going to totally be uncomfortable and your elbow is constantly going to be hitting the side of the pantry cabinet. I think better to have the pantry cabinet on the one end, the pantry cabinet on the other end of the wall, if you want, and then get rid of the one in the middle. Don't have it symmetrical. Symmetrical is the first instinct of everybody when they're first designing, but it's eliminating function as a criteria. And it will be so much nicer to have more countertop. And then when you go into the room, it's going to seem way more open going into your living room. You won't be going through a tunnel when you get rid of the cabinets over the top of the doorway and you get rid of the pantry on the side. Now you'll have countertop going almost to the doorway and then you'll be able to put stuff down maybe on your way into the living room or set a drink down or be able to use that bar area that you have. Maybe when you look at this thing in three dimensions more, when you get the cabinet people to put it on the cabinet stuff, you sort of, if they do it both ways, you'll sort of see how open it will feel and it will feel better. So that would just be another thing that I would say. And then of course, if I move on to the, my next observations, you are eliminating all wall cabinets and even any kind of floating shelves that you have in your kitchen proper. So you have a statement kitchen, but it's not gonna be very comfortable or fun. I mean, I hope you don't cook a lot because you want to get spices out of a, a cabinet or something like that. You're not really leaving yourself. You're leaving yourself a very beautiful space, but not one that really is very conducive to working in. All your plates, uh, well, all your glasses, every plate, every glass, all your spices, all your cooking oils, everything is going to be going below the countertop. And so glasses and things like that, you know, I'll put them in drawers, then they'll rattle and clink and possibly get banged up when you open the drawers. And if you have them all the way across the room, in the one space that you have created for wall cabinets, you really don't have that much wall cabinetry over there either. It's a, a lot of times people do these statement kitchens that are beautiful, but they don't cook because they have maids or other people that are waiting on them. And it doesn't matter if they have to go to a butler's pantry that's a half a mile away in their home. They don't really care. But if you're really cooking in your kitchen, it's going to be frustrating. So you might want to give up some of these beautiful views just to have some wall cabinets in your kitchen, if that maybe means that you get rid of either side of the hood over the cooktop, you put some wall cabinets that will just connect to the refrigerator, built-in refrigerator. You'll lose the two windows that are there, but you will at least have places to put plates and glasses and food and cooking oil and spices and things next to the stove. But you have to just, I'm just giving you that observation. I'd tell you that the most expensive kitchens we do are completely and totally impractical. It's just as kitchen oh, designers, well, you know, we have to warn people. You, you should know. I mean, that's a good criticism that, uh, we're definitely big cooks. I mean, we're definitely gonna, we, we got the 40 inch stove and we're gonna use it a lot. So we definitely use that a lot. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely look into that. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe we just got short-sighted of what we want it to look like rather than how it would function. Yeah, I, I mean, it looks, I guess it looks better. It looks better this way. It's just that when you go to cook in this thing and you go to get a glass of wine or something like that, or 
everything, all the glasses and everything else are not in a convenient, not in a convenient location. Although, I mean, the one thing is, is you have a butler's pantry, you can put a lot of this stuff away. But that's the reason that a rich, a really rich person, <laughs> I, I bring this up because we've got several customers that have $200,000 kitchens, you know, in $10 million homes. And you have to go to this butler's pantry to get everything because their kitchen is just all windows and they're looking out at the mountains in, you know, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, or someplace at their beautiful view in their ski lodge that they're flying to in their jet plane from wherever. They don't care that somebody else that's making them dinner needs to go across the into the pantry to get everything that they need. So you just, just think about it and it's beautiful, but if you, if you suck it up and you put cabinets along the, the stove wall instead of the two windows, then you'll have cabinets and you'll still have the, the view that you have on the sink wall. Um, okay. And then I guess if I move on to other things, I would say, so, you know, overall the, the layout is, is definitely, is definitely fine. The one thing I'd say is the area, like the, the way that it's done around the refrigerator. Did you do that so that you can someday get a wider refrigerator? instead of a 36 and get a 42 or something, or? No, um, the refrigerator to smack the wall. So the way to do that is not to have the lower cabinet, not to have the cabinets over the refrigerator go all the way across and then have the lower cabinet on the side. I think the way to do that is to have that narrow cabinet go up to the ceiling and then the cabinets over the refrigerator stay the same uh, size okay. as the refrigerator. That just looks a lot yeah, better. No uh, it was a yeah, I 100 agree. Yeah, I, this is that was a, a change that we did sort of a little more later, and this is just trying to plug uh, okay. volumes. But yeah, I agree. I think I think it I think it, it looks lousy. Uh, yeah, making yeah. the side the cabinet on the side that can be sort of one of those you know pull out something. Um, yeah, I mean the, the then, pull out things on the side of the cabinet too is. The, when the whole cabinet pulls out in the kitchen world, everybody loves gadgets, but gadgets don't really work that well. So like this nine inch cabinet, if you pull the whole thing out when you're pulling it out, what happens is first off, because Sebastian, because you're an architect, you're probably thinking about getting frameless cabinets and not frame cabinets. Is that correct? Well, or have you thought about you know, it? I we haven't decided on that because the last when when I when I built Allison's kitchen, uh, we got a really nice cabinet um, assembly uh, company uh, that had were frame cabinets and they're really beautiful and super, very high quality. So I wouldn't, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't know how I stand on either one yet, honestly. Okay. So the only that, reason that, I bring it up is well, I would definitely not. Now I'm like I don't really know actually. So what? Frame... Well, maybe give it. Yeah, I just say that frameless cabinets are are not going to handle stress as well as framed cabinets because with a frame cabinet, all the hinges and the tracks and everything else are all attached to the front of the cabinet, and the front of the cabinet's all solid wood. And on a frameless cabinet, the cabinet's either particle board or at best plywood, but all the screws and everything else for all the hinges and everything are attached to a side of the cabinet that's at best plywood and so they're a little bit more easily damaged and so once you take a really heavy pantry pullout 
and you put this big tall thing in a cabinet, especially if it's a frameless cabinet, over time, the frameless cabinet will never handle the stress. So it will last for a few years, maybe even a decade, but it's sort of just a problem waiting to happen. And more than that, for any kind of gadget like a pantry pullout, it's cool, but it's really not as functional as actually individual pullouts would be. So when you pull out this whole thing, now every shelf that has a shelf above it, because the whole thing pulls out together, you have to lift the spices or whatever they are. You have to lift them up, get them above the rail that's holding everything in, turn them sideways to pull them out. And as you get lower and lower, you have to squat down to see what's on the lower shelves of this thing that pulls out and then lift that thing up and turn it sideways and pull it out. And it's sort of silly. If each one of these shelves just pulled out individually, it wouldn't have anything above it. You could see everything that was on that pullout shelf, take whatever you wanted and slide it back in. And not only would you put in the cabinet under way, way less stress, but it would be more convenient. It just wouldn't be cool. I would say that, you know, most of the times the gadgets that we put in customers' kitchens aren't to make it better. It's if you have a really big kitchen, it's sort of just whatever, maximize the cool factor, but you're always sort of losing function a lot of the time for some of these devices. And some of them, like a pantry pullout that's really tall, just put the cabinets under a lot of stress. And if you do choose, by the way, to get rid of the windows, I would even make that cabinet on the side of the refrigerator maybe a little bit wider because now you don't have to try to fit all the windows in there. You could make your countertop maybe a little bit narrower on one side of the stove and then have, you know, the pantry be 15 inches wide, just six more inches. And then you could have rollouts in there. You'd get a ton of stuff in there. It would be even more functional and it wouldn't be, you know, the other thing about a really narrow door is it's not that attractive. So when you have a nine inch door, if you look at that door, it doesn't really look proportional to the rest of the doors in the kitchen. Okay. Hey, what's your opinion regarding uh, in the corner, like a blind corner cabinet or lazy Susan cabinet? Well, there's no question that the best way to access a corner is through an easy reach door. So an easy reach door is the double folding door that people don't necessarily like because it's sort of weird the way the door double folds, but that's the easiest way to get into a corner. And then if you put a lazy Susan in the corner, then now everything's accessible. Everything spins up to you. If you get a blind corner, then that's how you end up getting things like Le Mans's and they're called magic corners. They're again, very sort of cool devices that allow us to access the corners in the back of blind bases. But again, they're cool. If you have a really big kitchen, they're great because they're sort of make it interesting to be utilizing that kitchen. But as far as function goes, they're really a much worse use of the space. So always the most boring things like rollouts and lazy Susans actually access the highest percentage of space with the greatest utilization. So you have to decide. The one thing about the blind corner is the blind corner, if you got one, would have to go in the direction towards the sink. You can't do a blind corner that would open on the side of the stove 
because they don't tell you this, but those, if, I mean, I'm talking about any of the mechanisms, the magic corners or the Lamanzas, these things that look like a peanut that swing out of the cabinets. You've probably seen them, I would think, Sebastian, which it might be why you're, you're asking about the blind corners, right? Yeah, so I mean, I, I've I've begun to really not like lazy Susans. I have, we have one here, and it's just like things just roll off of it, and it's just a hassle. And I realized that maybe if the kitchen's big enough, maybe it's just a blind corner, and I just like maybe I just forget about using the back that maybe it's just wasted space, which it kind of is anyways. And just I don't know, it's well, just like I don't know. The, I, I, the I, I just like I, I'm just forfeiting that space, and I'm happy with that. Well, the lazy suit, if you get the easy reach cabinet with the folding door, you can have shelves on the inside and then you'll utilize, okay. you'll be able to get into that corner. If you put the lazy Susan in the corner, it's not like the lazy Susans in the past where there was a bar and you had plastic shelves or something like that, or even wooden shelves that rotated. There'll be a solid shelf on the bottom of the cabinet and on the second level. And the lazy Susan will be a wooden lazy Susan in almost every brand I know of. And the lazy Susan will spin on that shelf. So you won't really have okay. things falling off and falling down anymore. But if you really wanted the biggest use of this space is make it a folding door cabinet. Because if you make it a dead corner, you have to leave three inches of filler so that the other cabinets oh. that are going to be on either side open. And when you do that, you really create something like two and a half square feet or five square feet of storage space you count how much square footage of storage space you have in your whole kitchen not including the refrigerator that's a lot of space that's a regular two foot deep cabinet so you're giving up a 30 inch long drawer base or a 30 inch long base cabinet by making that corner dead yeah. i would think the best thing is make it an easy reach if you hate lazy susans and then you can put tons of stuff in there that you don't use all the time like a wok or a a bread maker or who knows uh, the lazy Susans when you look at them and you go to the kitchen showroom, you might not hate them as much as normal just because they're they'll be wood and they'll be on a shelf. Um, okay, so you're you're preferable of the sort of like this double articulated door, which you know it ends up being on the face like 12 by 12, right? That's yes, usually what the on the face it's 12 okay. by 12. And then the one thing that you want to do with these doors, if you can remember this, you have your contractor counter sink the handle screw and this is hard to remember but what happens with these cabinets is the doors fold you have the ability actually because it's a double folding door to drag the back of the door across the cabinets that are next to it on the, the side that that the hinge isn't on oh and, what are you talking about so you don't scratch the face so you don't scratch the face of the of your doors and your cabinets next to you a lot of times if you go to a kitchen showroom and you look at their lazy susan cabinets you'll see that the sides of the the cabinet next to the lazy susan all the drawers are all scratched up with the the screws from that the back of the handles so if you countersink the handles that doesn't happen but it, it's just something that a lot of you know a lot of kitchen designers forget about and you realize it as soon as you start damaging your kitchen um okay okay make that can I, sorry can i ask you one question about the sure. island if we were to take a foot off of it, which end would you take the foot off of? Like, is it okay if it's not in line with the... Well, I think the easiest way to take a foot off is you have the panel on the one side, right? And you have to take off a little more than a foot, really. You got to get it down so the countertop is 10 feet, 
were maybe okay. a tiny bit less than 10 feet. Did I see that you wanted to have a waterfall? Yeah, you have a waterfall on one side. So they have to miter that countertop edge to make the waterfall. So you're probably going to need to make it like nine feet, 10 and a half inches long or something like that for them to be able to get the miter and everything to work. If you got rid of most of the countertop that's on the end towards the stove and made it another waterfall, if you wanted to, or um, made it a panel or something, that would be one way to do it. I don't know that it matters that much. I just wonder where we wanted the additional floor space. Like, if Would it be too big of a gap between the stove and the end of the counter if I took it off a foot that way? Or do I take it off and just... Right. Well, you're leaving you're leaving yourself enough space everywhere because the room is really big. So maybe you split the difference and you leave yourself just a little bit more space, six inches of more space or seven inches more space on the, the one side and seven inch more space towards the stove. The alternative is to change how the island's done and you know make it like a two level or something like that. Then you can have it as long as you want. But I think you're not going to like it if it has a seam in it. If it's two levels, okay. it won't be bad if it has a seam. But if it's one level with a seam, and if you're like a lot of people and you're picking quartz that looks like marble and you're getting very distinctive graining, having a seam, would they'll have a real hard time matching it up. Okay. Hey, can I ask you, is it, I seem to be, we seem to be seeing less of the waterfall edge. Is that, is that a trend that is passing a little bit? Um. You know, I, I, I think it depends on where you are. The, you know, the waterfall edge is definitely a more contemporary thing. If you're downtown Philadelphia and you're in a condo or a high rise, almost all the jobs that we do down there, the customers are selecting contemporary cabinetry and then waterfalls are as popular as they ever were. If you're out in the suburbs here, very few people get contemporary kitchens. They may get a shaker door style, but it won't. It will be more transitional than it is truly contemporary. They'll maybe make things a little bit modern looking by taking a shaker door style and getting a chimney hood and getting bar pull hardware and do some other things, maybe glass backsplash tile, but they won't go all the way to slab doors and making things totally contemporary. And so I, I think that when the kitchens aren't totally contemporary, that there's less waterfalls in those cases. But in the truly very modern kitchens, those kitchens, waterfalls are just as popular as ever. Okay. The I one thing you have to remember, though, too, is that you have to have outlets in your island. So somebody has to plan on where your outlets are going. So when you put a waterfall on the end, I hate it. if you put an outlet on the waterfall that, you know, we, I see that all the time because nobody planned out the cabinetry for there to be a good place to put the outlet. So there's no place that the contractor can do, but to, to put it in the waterfall. Yeah. We're actually thinking pretty hard as a possibility of doing one of those pop-ups from the, from the, that you just pop it and it comes up. I, you know, I, I like that. I like that. And you'll probably. Feels like you might, I thought it's, it's, we think that might be worthwhile. Yeah, I, I like the pop-ups. You'll need for the length of your island, you'll need two outlet sources for building code. So you could have one pop-up or two pop-ups 
or one pop up towards the waterfall. And then on the other end, you could have an, an outlet on the side of a cabinet or something like that. Like right now you have it. It's, I think it's convenient. You have the cabinet doors opening out towards the stove, which is very convenient. I mean, not outlet. I mean, the, the cabinetry opening towards the stove, which is convenient. But something's got to go for your, you know, to make your island smaller. Okay. And then the other thing, too, is it sits five in your design. But even though islands are much more attractive when they're, they're only, there's only seating on the back, I don't think that you're ever going to find more than four people sitting like ducks in a row. You'll find that once people, even three people sit at the back of an island, they sort of turn their chairs so that they can face each other. So it's, it's ambitious thinking, thinking that if you can squeeze five chairs in there, that five people will ever sit there. Even if you did a waterfall on both edges, that you'd still probably, you would never get the five people in there. And even four would be probably unusual. If you have an overhang on another side, then one person, the person that sits on that end, or two people sometimes can sit on that end, and they can be sort of a focal point between the other people sitting on the other end of the countertop. But when everybody sits facing the same direction, it's just you never really get that many people all sitting there. So you think we should have an overhang for the, on one mm -hmm. point? You, you have to decide. One way looks better. One one way get one way looks better. The way you've got it now looks better. And if you if you got rid of your waterfall and you put the overhang, you'd want the overhang on that side. And then you could move the yeah. whole island to be the four feet that you have away from the stove. And then that person, because the island is shorter, that's sitting on the waterfall side, that person wouldn't be sitting into the doorway. So you'd actually be utilizing all the space. And then you really would sit five four people on the back and one person on the side, but it wouldn't have maybe as dramatic a look, but it would be more functional. Mm -hmm. If you're really thinking about people eating, if you're serving, you know, it's like uh, if you go to a bar, we always, you know, I always equate this as some people want to have kitchens without any table. And I say, Hey, if you go to a bar and they tell you, you have to wait a half an hour for a table, most people or a restaurant, or you could sit at the bar. Most people wait to sit at the restaurant, right? They don't, they don't want to go sit at the bar. And then if they're going to sit at the bar, they try to find a corner of the bar where they can be facing each other. The last thing they all want to do is have four people sitting like ducks in a row. So when you create that in your kitchen, it's definitely the nicest look and can be the most dramatic, but it definitely takes a little bit away from the function and the conversationality. And if you entertain a lot, then people will sit all around the island when you have seating on two sides. When you only have seating on one side, people might stand there, but they probably won't sit down as much. Okay. Um, anything else that I see? No, I think, you know, the only other thing I would think is where's your garbage can going in this design? I, uh, we're, I, so it's somewhere in the island. So just the 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 way that the cabinets are laid on the island are, are not necessarily what we sure you know, just is blocked at floor uh, floor area. We're thinking mm -hmm. of having some sort of like uh, pull out that can combine that that you know sort mm -hmm. of and, and actually look at the biggest one that we can have so that it's practical. Mm -hmm. So if you get the biggest pullouts that you'll be able to get would be 
you only need a 21 inch cabinet for them. There won't be a drawer on top and you'd be able to get two 50 quart pullouts. If you get the smaller size pullout, and this is where the, the pullout will have the two 50 quart garbage cans will be, one will be in the front and one will be in the back. People use garbage on the front and maybe recycling in the back. With your kitchen, it's also very convenient to have trash can next to the sink. So you might want to consider putting it there instead of the island, or maybe both. Having one trash can in the island for when you're cutting and chopping and working there, and then a trash can next to the sink so you could scrape something off into a trash can and then put it into the dishwasher. Okay, yeah. But you think the, uh, that having just a built-in uh, garbage um, sort of uh, cabinet is better than just than than you know the traditional bin on the outside, right? Yeah, no, I don't think you. I don't think you know. Even if people, even if people object to having garbage in their cabinet, it's uh, especially if you don't have um, a drawer on top of it. And if you did have a drawer on top of it, I wouldn't keep my cutlery in there. <laughs> but if, uh, if, you, if you didn't have a drawer on top of it, it's getting your trash outside of the kitchen and just clean out the cabinet. The cabinet's all urethane and everything else on the inside. It's not going to hurt the cabinet. It has a lid on it too. They can have lids on it and they're inside a cabinet. It looks nicer and is, is better to have it inside a cabinet. And then have you picked out any kind of sink that you want? No. In this no. design, you've got a very unusual thing. You've got a double bowl sink that's 36 and that's 42 inches long, which isn't really a sort I, of a standard size. I would just say that if you're looking for sinks, the thing that was popular years ago was to have one big sink and then a small second sink. Whereas nowadays, one really big sink is much more popular because then everything fits in it. If you have one really long sink, you can put pots and pans and cookie and turkey pans and everything. There's nothing that cutting boards, there's nothing that won't fit in, the, in your sink and be sticking up out of the top of your sink if you try to put it in the sink before you wash it. And if you get one, any of these sinks that's divided in two, then unless you're kosher, it's not really helping you in a lot of respects. You'd sort of be better off just getting one big sink. And then if you want to get fancy, there's lots of sinks that are one really big sink that come with things that slide across the top of them and you know have other kinds of contraptions that will allow you the ability to drain things on top of the sinks and some other things. But you know, a lot of times, like in the program software that we use and everybody uses, any big sink is a double bowl sink and they don't even have really big single bowl sinks in the programs, but because the program, the program designers don't know any better, but a big single bowl sink, most people find to be more, more convenient for them. Okay. And, right. and that, you know, yeah, it's pretty, and that's the reason we have it. It's just like, that's what Revit had. And we just wanted to yeah. locate a sink. Not, not we definitely we haven't decided on the sink other than we, we're probably there. We want one, and we're probably there, and it probably should be large-ish. That's as that's that's as much as we've figured. And I would I would also center it under the window too. So in in this picture, it's not centered yet. So you want to center it in front of the window. Yeah. But, you know, those are the design things that I think you need to consider. 
And then what were the, some of the other things you were talking about, color? Yeah, we, we're just not really sure where to go with the design. I feel like the design of a kitchen is constantly changing. And I feel like kitchens look like you can kind of be like, oh, you did that this year based on the colors and design. And I want a timeless kitchen that people aren't going to be like, oh, you built this kitchen in 2022. I was really set on kind of doing navy at one point. because I love that color. Mm-hmm. But that, so 2019 now to do well, navy lowers. The rule of thumb, I think, is if things are, are more conservative, they tend to they tend to always be in style. So as mm-hmm. you get more dramatic or whatever, if you're doing a kitchen and you did it very ornately with carved legs and corbels and things like that that were popular maybe in the early 2000s, those kitchens were in style for a short period of time. They went out of style because they're so dramatic. And then they were identified with the period. Navy blue is definitely a color that's sort of popular now. I'm sure going into the future won't be as popular as it is right now. But if you did your island in navy blue and not your whole kitchen, it's not so in your face. And then having an island a different color is always something that's going to probably be popular. You know, whether that island is gray or wood or navy blue will change over time. But there still will be people picking those kind of colors for their islands in the future. And so your kitchen will be more timeless if it's just the island. If it's all navy blue or if you did the bottoms of the cabinets navy blue and the tops of the cabinets a different color, well, that's sort of in your face. And that's just something that's definitely, you know, people always say the word timeless isn't as timeless. It will have a popularity, but then people will lose interest in that thing and move on. But like white shaker cabinets have been popular for 10 straight years. I can't imagine 10 years from now if they're still as popular as they are now. However, there'll still be a lot of people buying white shaker cabinets, even if they're not as popular, just because they're so simple and they're universal and they're sort of timeless. Their shaker cabinets have been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And getting white cabinets is always going to be a popular color. So the combination of the two will always have some kind of attraction to people. I can't imagine it being as popular as it has been the last 10 years. But 30 years from now, there'll still be some contingent of people that will be getting them. Mm -hmm. The one thing I will say, though, is not having moldings on top of your cabinets, reaching the ceiling is definitely less popular and will always be so. You don't, it depends on how contemporary you want your kitchen, but leaving a gap between your cabinets and the ceiling is pretty undesirable. And I don't expect that will ever come back. That unless you're getting slab doors and you're being very contemporary, people are gonna want the cabinets, not that necessarily the cabinets to reach the ceiling, but that it be at least some flat piece of wood that closes in the distance between the top of the cabinets and the ceiling. So you're not collecting dust up there and that the cabinets look more built in. So if you wanted that to be a two piece crown molding that reached the ceiling, that would be more traditional. It could be a cove molding, which would go with a shaker door style. But if you want things to be more modern, you could just have it be a flat six inch piece of wood or something like that that would go from the top of your cabinets, close in your 
cabinetry over the ceiling, but just leaving the cabinets on the wall with nothing on top of them is very old fashioned. Okay. And what would you recommend for lighting over the island? Like how big should we be looking and how many chandeliers? Well, also as far as your lighting goes, you have your beams that are coming across the room. Are you still doing that? We're thinking about it. We're thinking it. about it. Are they uh, not structural? They're just for they're for uh, they're not structural. They're decorative. It's just it's a it's a high ceiling, and it's just just you know we we thought it would be something that could add a little interest and sort of frame up a little bit the space. There's lots so, of things that I would do. I, I don't want to rain on the, your parade. I mean, there's lots of things that I would do with my ceiling to make it more decorative. That wouldn't be beams. Beams are sort of seventies ish, and especially if okay. they're not really structural. And if they're going to be like a wood or something like that, we actually had a company, we have company meetings on Friday and we actually had a customer that had a beautiful kitchen and there's one beam going across the room that the customer really wanted. And when the, the designer brought up the picture in the meeting, all the other designers sort of went like, oh, you know, we all saw that beam and it's, it looks better when it's more than one, right? When it's only one, it looks a little lonely, <laughs> but you know, I just said, listen, that's a beautiful kitchen but we can't send photographers out to take pictures of it. It's a, a white kitchen with a gray island with white marble quartz looking countertops, all things that are sort of very popular now, and then one brown beam going across the room. So things that you could do with your ceiling because it's high, like things that I like, you could create like a tray ceiling. I don't know if you know what a tray ceiling is, a tray ceiling is you build soffits, like let's say just six inches down from the, the top of the ceiling around the whole perimeter of the room. So these soffits go around the whole room, you know, around your pantry area, around your foyer area, so that you're just going to be creating this whole central area. Or you could even make the ceiling come down over the eating area and line up with your foyer area so you create a, almost a complete rectangle. And the ceiling is just six inches lower in your dining area. And that has some recessed lights lighting that area. And then the rest of the room just has a two foot deep perimeter around it where the ceiling comes down. And then in the middle of the ceiling, now you have in the middle of the ceiling, you could have the beams going across that wouldn't go all the way across the room. So they'd be restricted to the middle of the room. And that would be interesting if you actually took those beams and made them, you know, not just straight beams, but like beams going one way and the other way. Well, that's actually called the coffered ceiling, where the ceiling is divided into squares in the middle of the room. But the perimeter of the room is a tray that goes around the perimeter of the room. You could even go to our website on the first picture on our on our gallery page on our website, the first pictures that appear on the gallery page, there's an interactive virtual tour you can take of kitchens. And the first kitchen on that virtual tour, you have to click where it says tour now or linked here. That kitchen is well, offered ceiling. So it, it has, it, yeah. Yeah, it's very traditional. I don't think it's your guy's style, but you could just have the beams going across, but the, see how the perimeter of the room is all closed in. So the perimeter of the room yeah. gets closed in and only the middle of the room gets that done. 
And that sort of connects things a little bit more, makes it all look a little bit more like it belongs when the perimeter of the room, and then the cabinets, if the cabinets go up to the ceiling, they're going up to the ceiling, but you don't have beams running through them. You don't have, there's a way for the moldings to stop and die. But you could even just put a perimeter around the room. And then I've had customers wallpaper the ceiling with relief wallpaper that looks like tin so that they paint over it, but it looks like they have a tin ceiling. And then on the inside of the whole tray, you can have, again, some kind of crown molding. It's simple, even angled crown or any kind of crown you want just around the perimeter of the tray. And it just is an added feature, makes the middle of the room go up a little bit higher. And it's not, you know, not as sort of 70s as a brown beam. Right. No, so, that's a uh, good point. I think we're, we, I'm very pumped that you haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. If you can weather the storm, take what you want from the, my input and discard the rest. No, I think it's good. Input. No, I think it's good input. I mean, I, we, you know, with other parts in the house that we've considered um, doing something actually not that different than that. So maybe we'll try and follow that through here. Cause I think it's uh yeah, I mean, yeah, just looking at this image is, you know, it, you do, it's exactly what you said. It, it takes a, a very regular shape and, and creates a, a nice logic and, and sort of a centerpiece and it allows this spot for, for lighting on the perimeter that is recessed. In the center, you have a couple yeah. um, pendants. And, and, and now you don't just, have the problem, the, like with the pendants and your beams, you're gonna sort of have a problem trying with the beams, right? With the beams coming through, you're, it's gonna be weird if your pendants, you're gonna want to be centered over the island and then your beams, if one beam is close to one pendant and the other not close to the other, you're creating a problem. So if it's going to work, somebody's got to think it through so you don't sort of have a weird thing going on with the pendants over the island and the beams ending up there being a beam where you would have wanted to put a pendant or one pendant ends up being on a beam and the other pendants are far away from a beam and another pendant ends up being uh, close to a beam. So it, it can create problems. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, you, the beams are clearly like uh, based on the windows, but now this logic allows us to uh, make a make a grid that that actually works yeah. with what's happening not outside the room. And if you're looking for beams too, beams in your living room, were they going to be wood, like some kind of rustic wood or something? No, they were just going to be some kind of dividers then yeah, maybe you do a coffered ceiling or you want to think it all through. Like even my customers, even the, those are my customers that have the, the coffered ceiling in the picture. There's no question that a lot of people aren't going to like that coffered ceiling. And if you're asking, if, is that ceiling really timeless? It will always be attractive to some people, but not a big majority. It's going to be too much for a lot of people, almost any particular decade you pick. If it was a simple or tray ceiling, probably everybody would have liked it. If you do a tray ceiling, would you put like some wood in the tray? Like, would you do a wooden ceiling or no? You could, or yeah, you, you could, you could have, that's what you, you could have the whole tray have a, some kind of like molding that matches any molding in the room. And then the top of the tray itself could be some kind of a wooden planking to make the whole ceiling some kind of wood. That would probably be very attractive. 
you could okay. make it some kind of planking and then have it be distressed or if your island was gray your planking could be stained gray on your ceiling or even if the planking was stained gray and the island wasn't it's sort of i don't know sort of has sort of a, like a, a night sky or a kind of sky feel to it but i mean all that kind of stuff ideas i'm throwing out but to make it work things look better if they're thought through and you're coordinated a little bit so you do the planking if you decide to do it like a natural wood color then that's safe and easy if you decided to stain it some kind of gray color like i just said well then that gray color better go with other things in the room and you should want yeah. to really coordinate them i'm very conservative so that's the conservative approach but the conservative approach is also the thing that keeps things sort of timeless the more in your face and the more eclectic you become the the more that your kitchen could be really attractive but it might wear thin on you over time yeah eclectic is not the look we're going for in the kitchen at least maybe maybe the powder room <laughs> but so but what size pendant should we get or how many pendants should we put on a 10 foot well Does that kind of stretch out it all depends on how big they are if you got giant pendants you'd only want two if you got some kind of teardrop pendants, then you definitely want at least three. Depends on really the size of the pendant. But the one thing that you want to know about pendants is the last pendant on each end should be like a foot away from the end. And I mean the outside of the pendant so that when you're walking past either end of the island, you don't have a pendant near your face. So then if you had a 10 foot island and you had a, a pendant that let's say you got a pretty big pendant that was one foot wide, then you'd have one foot off the end of the island on each side, and then you'd have a one foot pendant from there. So each end of the island, you'd have eaten up two feet on each end of the island. If it's a 10 foot island, that would now leave you uh, six feet between the pendants. So if you got another one foot pendant, then that would leave you with two and a half feet in between the pendants. So I think that that's okay, but you I don't think if it was the pendant was any bigger than a foot, you'd even want three pendants. Okay. You have to sort of pick out the pendant. If it's really thin and narrow, you could fit four, but probably most people are gonna want three, but if you really got big pendants, it will be busy with three and you're better off with two. Okay. It also depends what what we do with the ceiling. <laughs> so, uh, but for example, this yep, you have two. They say it depends what you're doing with the ceiling. So here you only have two, which appears to work well. But I don't know if this if this island is quite ten feet. It might be closer to eight. I don't know. Well, your island is eleven feet two inches now, right? No, talking about at the picture from that uh, from your website. Oh, from the website? No, I'm sure that's a ten foot island. Oh, okay. But almost everybody that has a big room wants a big island. And when they want a big island, then 10 feet is the, the magic number, right? So, because you can't get the granite to be larger. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a 10 foot. They have exactly nine feet, nine inches of cabinets. So their island is exactly 10 feet. But it's also pretty deep. 
So that countertop is probably 50 inches or 50, at least 50 inches deep. Your island right now is 39. Is that too no. narrow? Oh, well, it's not 39. The island is 42. Um, oh, you have an overhang of one foot five inches. I'm sorry. So the island is 42. Yeah. You know, you could make your island deeper if you wanted. I think 42 is fine. It's closed in on the side. If it wasn't closed in on the side, it would look terrible with just a 24-inch cabinet on the end, which is why if you did decide to sit people on two sides, you have enough room to probably make it a little bit bigger. And then you'd make maybe the island three feet deep, at least in cabinetry. So you'd have maybe another row of cabinets and then have a one foot overhang for seating. And then you could seat really two people on the end of the island and, you know, four or five, four people or whatever on the other back of the island. If the overhang with the island is going to be 36, even 42, it looks nicer when you close it in so that you're not looking at such a narrow island. Like this island is closed in all the way across. It's like 48 inches without the overhang. Okay. So but do you, you think have room to make our wider? Yeah, you have room island? to make, I think you have plenty of room to make your island deeper if you wanted to. You're not really coming close to anywhere. Kitchen designers, we freak out about things getting too close. That's the one thing is almost every plan I get, the cabinetry is way too close to everything. And you didn't have any of that. You're leaving a plenty of room everywhere with cabinet space. It was only the table that you had a little bit of a problem with. But cabinet-wise, you have plenty of room. Because if you, you know, if you did go in front of your refrigerator or you reached to the edge of your refrigerator, that's still four feet away. So it's not like you'll be interfering with anybody over there. And if your island has to get a little bit smaller too, then you'll be that much farther away from the refrigerator anyway. Yeah, you have a really big space between the table and the island. So, and even between the pantry, edge of the pantry and the island. So you can definitely have your island expand in depth. Okay. Yeah, I'm just I'm just doing some dimensioning. Yeah, if we were to make it four feet, um, the countertop itself, that would still leave us um, sort of circulation by the by the pantry, like four four foot eight. So that's that should be the ample. Yeah. If we wanted to make funny. a load. Okay. All right. All right. So if you get farther along and you want to have any questions to feel free to call in, you know, most Fridays, it's me. Great. I do have one final question for you. What, sure. as far as mine goes, because I feel so paralyzed by starting it, what do I start with? Do you start with floor color, cabinet color, light? Like where should we start with the design? I think like, you always start with the, you start with the stuff that's the most expensive and the stuff that you're going to pay the most money for changing. How much your cabinets cost can change by 100% based on the color you might pick. So you pick out the color of the cabinets. If you picked out navy blue cabinets, you're going to be relatively limited in the, the color navy blues that you're going to be able to get. So you might force yourself into a much more expensive cabinet brand to get an unusual, an unusual finish. And you don't have to spend a lot of money to get well-made cabinets, but well-made cabinets that are inexpensive are only going to have a very limited amount of choices. So you, if you pick your cabinets first, 
then when you get to picking countertops second, then countertops you'll have, it will cost more money for some countertops over others, but the difference in cost won't be dramatic. Like if you said you wanted black cabinets, we know that generally your kitchen's gonna go up in price 70% or something like that to get into a cabinet brand that's gonna do a painted black cabinet. Automatically, you're gonna be spending a, a ton more money. Whereas if your countertop color changed, you could go up a couple of price levels and it might be a couple of thousand dollars, but this kitchen, I look at this kitchen and it looks to me like even in an inexpensive brand, if you're counting the pantry cabinets, you got $20,000 in cabinetry or maybe not quite because you don't have any wall cabinets in the one side. But if you add the wall cabinets and you add maybe cabinets on the back of the island to make the island bigger, you could easily be at $20,000 in cabinetry. Um, could be less, but never that much less because you got pantry cabinets in there too. And that's the least expensive. If you change colors and suddenly you're in a more expensive cabinet brand, that $20,000 can suddenly become $35,000 really fast. I think you pick out the cabinets that you like, that maybe you compromise a little bit in color or door style to get nice cabinets that you like. When you start picking the other things, you know, flooring color is not really going to change the price of the flooring. If you got hardwood or whatever, you could stain it any color. It's not going to probably change the price. If you got tile, then, you know, one kind of tile, if it's porcelain tile, one type of tile over another could be a little bit more expensive. But once you pick that tile, they probably have 15 colors that it comes in or 10. And every one of those colors is the same price. It's good to pick the things that are the most expensive and coordinate around them. Because like your backsplash tile is going to be a few hundred dollars probably. So picking your mm -hmm. backsplash tile, who worries? Get the most expensive backsplash tile in the world. It's only a, it's a small charge and it can even be a dramatic statement. Splurge on that. Don't splurge on a subtle color difference that makes your cabinets 20% more expensive. Okay, that's good, but certainly I was going cabinets first. You know, especially, I mean, you are you thinking about any kind of white cabinets? I don't, we go back and forth if you want to do white or not. Well, the only thing I'd say about the white is anybody that gets too obsessed with white, with which what's the color white that I'm getting, needs to understand that even the light bulbs, you're going to be getting LED lights in your ceiling. And even the bulbs that go into these LED lights are going to dramatically change any white color to anything that you want. If you get LED bulbs that have kind of a yellow tint to them or a natural light tint, suddenly your cabinets are going to be much more creamy. If you get some kind of stark kind of bluish LED light, suddenly your cabinets will be more of a stark white. The color of the cabinets when it's such a, a bland color like a white changes a lot simply by the bulbs that you're getting. So if you're really fixating on the color of the cabinets, you really better be also fixating on the color of the lighting that you're getting just to make sure you're, it also is leaving you with a, the color cabinet that you want. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So let me go. Uh, it was great talking to you both. And uh, if you want to call back again, feel free. Great. Thank great. you so much for your time and advice. Okay. Really nice, appreciate nice talking to you, Allison. Nice talking to you, Sebastian. All right. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Mainline Kitchen Design Podcast with nationally acclaimed kitchen designer Paul McElary. This podcast was brought to you by Brighton Cabinetry, high-quality custom cabinetry at competitive prices. For more on kitchen cabinets and kitchen design, go to www.mainlinekitchendesign.com.